0: Chairman of the committee, as well as, yes, Brian Kane, who is uh, the designated communicator uh, for that committee. They both did an excellent job, and that committee really is working very hard, everyone. I'm just so impressed uh, just with the ways that they are serving us as a congregation uh, in looking for this next person to uh, fulfill the position. And I want us to, collectively, I want us to pray right now for tomorrow's posting. That's a big deal. Uh, There's people who, they check that every single day, and uh, there's going to be that one individual who, he might be looking at the jobs today, and there's no Grandma Emanuel Baptist Church, and he's praying, and tomorrow that job's going to appear, um, and he may feel compelled to apply to it. Um, So tomorrow really is just such a big deal, uh, as as we are posting that position. Pray that we do get responses, uh, that we do have applications that are turned in, that they are quality applications, and most of all, that our committee uh, continues to have wisdom in how to respond to those applications and how to evaluate them. This is something that really needs prayer. Uh, We're in a year right now of transition, and this is a time especially when we really need to be actively coming together and worshiping together and praying together. Um, So let's do that uh, this morning uh, as we get ready to transition into our uh, time of worship in God's word. Uh, Let's pray for our youth pastor candidate and for the posting that will be live tomorrow. Please pray with me. Heavenly Father, we pray for the man who you have prepared for us to be our next youth pastor We pray that today, wherever he is worshiping, that you uh, give him and his family spiritual encouragement. uh, That from your word and from their current church family, uh, that you will bless them and uh, sanctify them. Even this morning, Lord, uh, as you prepare him and and his family uh, to serve here at Graham Emanuel, Uh, we lift them up to you in prayer. Uh, We also lift up our Youth Pastor Search Committee We lift them up in prayer to you as well, Lord. Uh, We pray that you give them wisdom. uh, We pray that you give them perseverance and understanding uh, as they uh, receive applications, as they consider uh, different resumes that come in. Uh, Lord, please give us lots of resumes, uh, but give us discernment to uh, make good choices in the applications that do come in. Uh, But most of all, Lord, uh, be with us as a church Even before you send us a new youth pastor, uh, may you continue to work in our awesome youth staff as they're serving teens. Uh, May you give them perseverance. May you uh, bring more into the fold to to serve with that youth ministry. Uh, May you be with us as a church. May we not be complacent and decide to wait to serve you or to worship you until a pastor comes. Uh, But may you give us conviction to every Sunday, every day, to function as your church so pray lord we pray that you sanctify us this morning by your word and by your spirit may you draw us closer to you and we pray this in the name of your son jesus christ amen so yes i want to thank you all my wife and i we are officially in our new home as of yesterday god was so good yes He was so good in providing the right home for us. It is here in the area, it is in South Hill, and we had a great time on Friday. We had pizza and lots of furniture being moved and lots of folks from the church coming out and helping with that. It was a good time of fellowship, and so thank you so much for all the prayers and all the ways that you all have supported us and just come alongside us in that And it feels good to be taking root here in western Washington. The reason I bring that up is because after moving in on Friday evening, it was not even 24 hours that I get a knock at my door. And I look out the window at the front of the house and I see two bicycles (laughs) laying in the yard. And they knock on the door and they say, good evening, we couldn't help but notice that you're moving in and we were wondering if you would like any help. And so I said, well, no, we don't need any help moving right now, but you're more than welcome to come in and sit on our couch and and we can talk. So that's what we did. They came in, they sat on the couch, and we had a great two-hour conversation and as we were talking, we were talking about the difference between what the Bible says and what the Book of Mormon has to say. And what they were trying to convince me of, and maybe what they have at times tried to convince you of, is that the Book of Mormon was merely just an addition to what God was revealing in the Old Testament and the New Testament, that it was just a natural progression, just an update on things that had already been revealed. And it was at that moment that I showed them Galatians chapter 1, verse 8, which I would like all of us to turn to this morning, actually. Galatians chapter 1, verse 8. Mormons will often say how much they love God's word. They'll say that they believe in the Old and the New Testament. They will claim that the Bible. They'll claim this at least that the Bible is the word of God. So based on that, I took them to Galatians chapter one verses eight and nine, and I shared these verses with them. Galatians one eight and nine says this, but even this is Paul speaking. But even if we or an angel from heaven should preach to you a gospel contrary to the one we preach to you, let him be accursed. As we have said before, so now I say again, if anyone is preaching to you a gospel contrary to the one you received, let him be accursed. And of course, the reason why I shared that is because Mormons famously believed that it was in fact an angel who revealed to Joseph Smith this new revelation, this new gospel, and I told these missionaries that I couldn't accept the Book of Mormon because I believed that the Bible was the Word of God, and the Bible says to reject any other message that contradicts what the Bible has to say. But the reason why I bring all this up is because here's how they responded. They said, well, what about the New Testament and the Old Testament? And I say, well, what do you mean? Says, says, well, we have the Book of Mormon, and we believe the Book of Mormon is uh, giving new information that may be different from the Bible. But you do the same thing with the New Testament versus the Old Testament. They would say that, well, doesn't the New Testament give new information that changes what the Old Testament had to say about God and about Israel, for example? And that brings up a very interesting point. Because I think most of us, we don't really understand the relationship between the Old Testament and the New Testament. We think that, well, the Old Testament, that must mean that it's outdated, or it doesn't apply anymore, or it's no longer relevant to Christians today, or that somehow the New Testament was meant to correct perhaps something that was wrong with the Old Testament, I'm willing to bet that most of you probably read your New Testament more often than you read your Old Testament. And we don't really understand exactly how these two parts of the Bible are supposed to work together, so much so that maybe even some of us assume that the New Testament is perhaps contradicting the Old Testament. And that's what these Mormons had to say. And in God's providence, and God's sovereignty... That's exactly what our sermon is about this morning in Colossians. So let's turn to Colossians chapter 1 because Paul is going to talk about the relationship between the New Testament and the Old Testament. And how in fact they aren't contradicting each other. How in fact there is a relationship between the two. How the, exactly what happens in the New Testament is being predicted and being a fulfillment of what was spoken of in the Old Testament. So turn with me to Colossians chapter 1, and we're going to look at 26 and 27. Let's read these verses together, uh, or read uh, silently along with me as I read this out loud. Uh, Colossians chapter 1, verses 26 and 27. Paul writes this. He says, The mystery hidden for ages and generations, but now revealed to the saints. To them, God chose to make known how great among the Gentiles are the riches of the glory of this mystery, which is Christ in you, the hope of glory. What's interesting about these two verses, I like to call these scaffolding verses. And what I mean by scaffolding verses is that these verses aren't explicitly telling us what to do, it's not explicitly describing something that Paul is modeling for us, it's not telling us something specifically about the attributes of God, but it is telling us how we can understand the Bible. It's giving us helpful information that we should be aware of in understanding what the Bible is and how we should treat it. Because if we misunderstand the Bible, and we misunderstand how we should treat the Bible, then we have something like Mormonism. So I want us to break down verses 26 and 27. We're going to be doing this kind of interesting. We're going to be breaking down our three heading points, and we're actually going to end our message with the big idea, because there's this key word in verses 26 and 27 that I need us to focus on, which is this word of mystery, do you notice that word mystery at the beginning of verse 26? Paul writes, The mystery that is hidden for ages and generations, but now is revealed to the saints. To them, God chose to make known how great among the Gentiles are the riches of the glory of this mystery. Mystery again in verse 27, which is Christ in you, the hope of glory. What does Paul mean when he says a mystery? What's he referring to? When I hear the word mystery, I think of Scooby-Doo or Agatha Christie. I think of, of a whodunit, right? That's not typically a word that I associate with the Bible. And it's not a word that we see terribly often in the Bible. So when Paul says that he's writing about a mystery, it's important for us to understand exactly what he means when he says mystery, And by understanding the meaning of this word mystery, we are going to have a better understanding of what the Bible is in the relationship between the New Testament and the Old Testament. Because if you look at the beginning of verse 26, Paul talks about the mystery hidden for ages. Well, that phrase, the mystery hidden for ages, is defining what happens at the end of verse 25. Look at the end of verse 25. Paul says that he wants to make the word of God fully known. Verse 26 then, remember there was no verse divisions when Paul wrote these letters. All of it was flowing together. The beginning of verse 26 is explaining and defining what Paul means when he says the word of God. And Paul labels the word of God as a mystery. And that is what we're going to need to break down this morning. Just like a mystery will put the evidence together and it will have the conclusion at the end of who did it, we're going to do our sermon in the same way. We're going to look at the evidence in the text of what Paul means by this word mystery. And then at the end, we're going to look at our big idea and understand how the New Testament relates to the Old Testament. So let's start to look at the clues that are evidence to us here in the Bible of what Paul means when he calls the word of God a mystery. The first heading for us this morning is that this mystery was something that was previously hidden. That's what Paul says at the beginning of verse 26 when he says, "...the mystery hidden for ages and generations." This word mystery, when he uses it, he doesn't mean confusing. That's not what the word mystery means in the Greek. Uh, That's actually where the word mystery comes from. Mysterion is the Greek word. It doesn't mean confusing. It doesn't mean murky. It doesn't mean convoluted or sneaky. None of those things that you would associate with a murder mystery should be associated with this word that Paul is using to describe the Bible. The Bible makes it clear that it is clear. God communicated the Bible in such a way that people can read it and understand it and teach it even to children. The Bible itself is not mysterious in the sense that it's confusing, but it is mysterious in this way. The word mystery means concealed. It means something that is there, but it's being covered for a short time. It's not that the truth is not existing, it's just that it hasn't yet been revealed yet. That's what Paul means when he says that the Word of God is a mystery. Another label that we have for this, this is a common phrase in theology, is the term progressive revelation. Progressive revelation. The idea that if you look from Genesis to Revelation, God slowly and partially throughout the course of history reveals bit by bit more about himself and more about how he is going to save people. But he doesn't do it all at once. He does it partially throughout the course of time. So for example, uh, when Adam and Eve sinned in the garden, in Genesis chapter 3 verse 15, God famously tells Adam and Eve that Eve is going to have a son who is going to crush the head of the serpent Satan. That is a little, you know, breadcrumb of the gospel. God is making it clear, "Hey, here's how I'm going to fix the problem of sin." But there was still a lot that Adam and Eve didn't know. They didn't know that this son of Eve was going to be Jesus. They didn't know about the nation of Israel or how Jesus was going to be a descendant of David. They didn't know any of that. They just knew that God was going to give a son from Eve and that he was going to crush Satan or the serpent. And as we go through the Bible, we see that God, bit by bit, almost like painting a canvas, is giving more information about the plan that was fully existing at the beginning of time, even in the garden. Not that God was making it up on the go, but that he always had his plan, but throughout the course of time, he partially or progressively revealed more and more of this plan. That's what Paul means when he describes the Bible as a mystery, He's describing the New Testament specifically as unmasking or unveiling, or almost like how at the end of Scooby-Doo they take the mask off of the guy to reveal it, revealing these things that were talked about in the Old Testament. And in fact, this word mystery, we see it in the Old Testament. The most famous example where the word mystery appears in the Old Testament is actually in reference to Daniel interpreting Nebuchadnezzar's dreams. Daniel chapter 2, verse 19, this word mystery appears when he's giving the explanation for the truth of the king's dream. It's not that Daniel had to come up with a meaning, it's not that he had to try to figure out some kind of cute explanation for this dream. The fact was that the truth was there. But to the king, the truth was being hidden, and God allowed for Daniel to uncover or reveal the truth that was existing. When we read the Bible from the Old Testament to the New Testament, we see that the same plan for salvation exists throughout the entire Bible, but that throughout the Old Testament into the New Testament is being partially revealed more and more, bit by bit. Never contradicting, but always adding more color, always adding, uh, shedding more light onto how exactly God is going to save his people. Let's actually look at an example of this. I want you to turn with me to Genesis chapter 22. Genesis 22 verse 17. One of the ways that God progressively reveals his plan for salvation is through something called the covenants. Maybe you've heard that word before, covenant. Covenant just means promise. Or perhaps contract would be a better way of understanding it. Some kind of deal that is made between two parties. Some kind of business transaction, some kind of agreement. It could even be a wedding agreement. That's what this word covenant means. In Genesis chapter 22, verse 17, we see the first, uh, not the first, the second And the most famous covenant uh, in the Old Testament, which we call the Abrahamic Covenant. We call it the Abrahamic Covenant because it's the promise that God made to Abraham. And you heard me say that it was the second covenant, so you're probably curious, what's the first one? The Noahic Covenant. God's promise to Noah with the rainbow in Genesis chapter 9. That's the first covenant that we see. Bit by bit, he's revealing more and more about how he is going to save his people. Genesis chapter 22, verse 17. You'll probably recognize these verses. I even have it highlighted just from the years past. It's a famous uh, set of verses. You should highlight it uh, if if you see it in your uh, copy of Scripture. Verse 17 says this. God's speaking to Abraham. He says, I will surely bless you. And I will surely multiply your offspring as the stars of heaven and as the sand that is on the seashore. And your offspring shall possess the gate of his enemies. And in your offspring, that's singular, by the way, in your singular offspring shall all the nations of the earth be blessed. God didn't tell Abraham that his offspring would be Jesus. He didn't tell Abraham exactly how all the nations of the world would be blessed by this offspring, but he told Abraham that there would be an offspring, and that all the nations would be benefited by this son who would come from Abraham. Turn with me now then to Galatians chapter 3, at the other end of your Bible. It's so good for us to be using our own copies of scripture, whether it's on our phone or whether it's a physical copy, we should be using and um, being acquainted with our Bibles. Galatians chapter 3, and I want you to look at verse 8. It says that in the scripture, foreseeing that God would justify the Gentiles by faith, preached the gospel beforehand to Abraham, saying, in you shall all the nations be blessed. Notice what it calls it in verse 8. It says that God preached the gospel to Abraham. He was telling the gospel to Abraham. In you shall all the nations be blessed. So then, those who are of faith are blessed along with Abraham, the man of faith. The idea was that those who put their trust in Jesus... Regardless of what your tribe or tongue was, whether you were a Jew or a Gentile, you would be benefited by the son of Abraham, Jesus, who is God incarnate, by putting your trust in him for the forgiveness of your sins. That was revealed in Genesis. It continues to be be revealed in the Old Testament, and it's fulfilled in the New Testament. Therefore, we shouldn't understand the New Testament as a new religion, from the Old Testament, or as a change of plan from the Old Testament, but the New Testament is a fulfillment or an unveiling, a revealing of the mystery that was indicated in the Old Testament. That's what Paul's saying here in Colossians chapter 1, and that's what a group like Mormons get wrong, that they think that the New Testament is contradicting the Old Testament, therefore they think that any book can do so, That is not true. There is unity between the Old Testament and the New Testament. Let's continue on to our second point. Our second point is this, that not only was this mystery that Paul is referring to, not only was it something that was previously hidden, but that this mystery involves Gentiles, which we've already alluded to based on what we've looked at in Genesis and Galatians. Let's continue on reading in Colossians chapter 1 now. Paul continues to say, but now is revealed to the saints, referring to this mystery. And in verse 27, he continues by saying, to them, the saints, Christians, God chose to make known how great among the Gentiles are the riches of the glory of this mystery. In the Old Testament, we see example after example of God indicating to his chosen people, the Israelites, that he is using them so that he can bless the world. Sometimes we think that the Old Testament is about like one country, Israel, and then the New Testament is about all the countries. No. God's plan, the Bible, has always been about the entire world. Always. It has always been about saving all nations. But Israel had the special blessing of being those chosen people that God used in order to bless the nations by using them as the nation by which Jesus would come, by having a nation for him to be born into, by having a lineage from him to be born from. It's not that God shifted from a one-country focus to a global focus. He always had a global focus, but in the New Testament, we see that fully fulfilled Even though the emphasis in the Old Testament was on Israel, that emphasis on Israel in the Old Testament was for the sake of bringing about Jesus in the gospel that the disciples would then make disciples of to the ends of the earth. Just to throw up some examples on the screen, I have three of these, but there's dozens, perhaps hundreds even. We see Isaiah chapter 52, verse 10 talks about this. Notice how emphasis is being put on the nations. Psalm 22, a very famous Good Friday passage, a prophecy about the um, execution of of Jesus, talks about how all the world, all the nations, shall worship and bow down before him. And even Psalm 98, verse 2, we see another example of this. And again, these are just three that I cherry-picked out of many, the Old Testament consistently shows that God's plan, what he's working with with the Israelites, has a, has a greater purpose that's going to impact everyone, including people from Utah, including people from the United States, from Canada, from Mexico, anyone that you're working with. The reason you're here this morning, because I think all of us are Gentiles as far as I know, is because of this plan. Because of God's plan to use Israel to bring the Messiah to us. We are beneficiaries of that. And that was something that was not fully understood in the Old Testament. It was indicated in the Old Testament, but it wasn't fully understood. And we see that in the example of the Pharisees and the disciples. They didn't understand that other nations, other dialects, other ethnicities, that God also loved them as well and wanted to redeem and save them and graft them in as his people, is how Romans 11 describes it. And I'll just quickly say, this word nations here, we need to be very careful with this word nations. This is referring to ethnicities. The word nations is the word Gentile. It's the same word. It's referring to people groups. It's not referring to countries like the way we think of nations today. It's not referring to political states the way we think of the word nation today. It's talking about people groups, every tribe, every tongue, That's what it means by nation here. And then finally, the third point, that this mystery, the thing that the Old Testament alluded to, it hinted at, but that the New Testament fulfilled, was that this gospel, this way that God was going to fix a broken world and to save a lost people, was going to be through Christ that it was actually going to be through God becoming man, and more than that, actually indwelling believers. That's what Paul means at the, verse, at the end of verse 27 when he says this, which is Christ in you, the hope of glory. Referring to this mystery. Paul says that this mystery that's been revealed over the course of centuries, it all leads to this pinnacle of, guess what? It's about Jesus. It's about Christ. Here he is. He's the Lamb, capital L. He's the Son, capital S. He's the King, capital K. Everything that the Old Testament is talking about was leading us to and pointing us towards Jesus. Because he's that offspring. He's that descendant. He's the fulfillment of every promise in the Old Testament. Meaning that there is unity in this book. And if you want to know about Jesus more, read your Old Testament. If you want to know more about salvation, read your Old Testament. If you are not reading the books of the Old Testament, you are neglecting God's Word. Because our big idea is this as we come to our conclusion that based on all of this evidence, based on everything that we've seen, based on what Paul is describing in these two verses, That God's plan has always been to reach all peoples through Christ. That's the point of the Bible. That's what the Bible's about. God's plan has always been to reach all peoples through Christ. He never changed strategy, never changed tact, never had to make it up as he went. When sin occurred in the garden, God had the full, complete plan for how he was going to fix it. And he revealed it bit by bit, bit by bit. And now for us today, we have the incredible benefit of seeing the entire mystery laid out before us. From A to Z, from Alpha to Omega, we know exactly how God fulfilled these promises. How God fulfilled it through Jesus so, Grandma Emanuel Baptist Church, we have no excuse, don't we? The next time Mormons come up to your door, the next time you have a chance to talk to a coworker, the next time you have a chance to share with loved ones at a family gathering, to talk about the fact that there is a problem in this world, and that problem is sin, and it always has been, but that the, that the solution is Jesus, and it always will be, and that we can respond to what Christ has done to us by faith, And that this mystery is no longer a mystery, because the invisible God has made himself visible through Jesus Christ. So pray with me. Heavenly Father, thank you for your word, and thank you that we have the benefit of having all of it. um, Knowing exactly how you have uh, offered a solution to sin, Knowing exactly how you have provided a way back to you through your son, Jesus Christ. Lord, I pray that you put on our heart, family members, or friends, or co workers, or neighbors who we know uh, need to repent and put their trust in your son, Jesus Christ, for their, for, for their forgiveness. And that you will use us to point them to God's word, to your word, Lord. And that you will use us to share your word with these people so that by your spirit you can do a work in their heart. May you use us here at Graham Emanuel uh, to present your word to others and to make known that mystery uh, that you have revealed over the course of time. And we pray this in your son Jesus Christ's name. Amen. All right. Have a great Sunday. Go in peace.
1: To feel the sun, always reaching, always climbing, always second-guessing the timing. But God has a plan, a purpose in this. You are his child, and don't you forget. He put that hunger in your heart. thing Put that hunger